The show is brought to you by the physician, the um, uh, Docs for Patient Care Foundation. Uh, the Docs for Patient Care Foundation is the only all physician led healthcare think tank in the country, and it's devoted to the principles of healthcare freedom and the doctor patient relationship. We uh, do tireless work trying to promote these ideals, and we uh, uh, really need your help and support. You can go to our website at d4pcfoundation.org, d4pcfoundation.org, and read about some of the things that we're doing, which are, in my opinion, quite incredible. We've just recently downloaded some of the um, raw footage from our um, recently held direct primary care conference in Orlando, Florida, which is uh, the best direct primary care conference in the country, bar none. And and I uh, am not um, even uh, being um, uh, uh, superfluous or, or effusive with my, with my praise of this meeting. It is a fantastic meeting, and everybody who comes leaves very impressed and wants to come back for more. In fact, we have a very high return rate to this meeting annually. So please support what we're doing and uh, and read about some of the things uh, that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation has accomplished and help us on our mission. You can give $5 or $5,000. No amount is too big or too small, but we can't do it without you. And we're out there slugging away um, for our patients and for the doctors. So please join us in the fight and help us. So the Docs for Patient Care, well, let me, the Doctor's Lounge, this radio show, um, we, we bill ourselves as the show that uh, uh, talks about the topics that doctors are talking about around the country in doctor's lounges, um, in hospitals, and other settings all over the country. Well, today's show, I thought that I would uh, pull some uh, stories from the news and uh, and really give you some insight into some of the things that we're talking about in in um, the surgeon's lounge in in my hospital and what other people are discussing. Also, there's um, not a whole lot going on in terms of healthcare on the surface. You remember that this was a giant issue just a month ago. Every day there was a story in the uh, in the newspaper or on the radio about health care, 72% of people in a CBS poll thought health care was the number one issue um, in the elections. And so there was no shortage of stories about health care. Our producer, David, wants to get in this conversation. He's itching, so I'm going to let him in. Can I, can I really th- throw you a curveball? Sure, go for it. I heard this right before I left my house on Fox and Friends. I th- I have a TV that's permanently glued to Fox. But anyway, um, about the caravan and the, the disease. I heard the, the same thing. Yes, uh, go ahead, please. addressing that a little bit of well, uh, how it could affect uh, uh, our kids' population? I was, that was not one of my stories, but, you know, there's, there's as I started to say, there's not a whole lot on the surface from a um, a, a – 
political standpoint or a giant, you know, issue, single issue standpoint that people are reporting in the news on on every station or in the in the uh, in the papers. But what David brings up is a very um, uh, worrisome issue that these uh, these refugees from from Central America are carrying with them some of the most uh, uh, lethal uh, diseases for populations um, that uh, that quite honestly we don't really deal with um, uh, on a on a regular basis in the U.S. Problems like tuberculosis or AIDS. These these there are uh, documented cases. This is not. This is not a conjecture. This is actual documentation. These are people who are carrying some diseases that that uh, will that can become epidemic if uh, these individuals get into the United States. And and uh, there are other diseases they're carrying, such as um, whooping cough, um, uh, measles, things that that um, are. Um, sadly, still a very large part of uh, life in in underdeveloped countries, and um, and this is one of the things that when people legally immigrate into the United States, they are um, screened for communicable diseases, and if they are uh, found, if they're noted to have them or not be immunized, they're quarantined, and uh, until they are felt to um, be safe, uh, to be let out in the general population. And nobody's talking about this. Not a single um, outlet is talking about this except for Fox, of course, which is, you know, in in the opinion of um, so many, um, the right, the alt-right news, when in fact it is the real news, in my opinion. But let me, let me uh, uh, go back to what you know, I was planning on talking about, which was some of the head headlines that I'm pulling from the news. Um, so the elections are over, and we, uh, um, since I was on last, we uh, uh, see that uh, we're having a likely uh, reprise of uh, Nancy Pelosi, who brought us, we have to pass the bill before we find out what's in it. And you, most of you who listen to this show regularly uh, know what I'm referring to, which is Obamacare. But, um, you know, now the Democrats have a new, a new uh, uh, position that they're taking, which is Medicare for all. And uh, I think that there's a big split, a big rift in the, in the Democrat Party between progressives and uh, the, the – uh, the old school Democrats, Nancy Pelosi, Steny Hoyer, who was just elected the uh, returning uh, uh, to another term as the majority leader uh, in his uh, in the Democratic Party. Um, in any event, um, this is probably going to be part of the 2020 platform in the Democratic Party. Um, because the uh, vice chairman of the of the DNC is Keith Ellison, who is the chief sponsor of the Medicare for All plan. But we have a lame duck session right now, and there's some um, there there 
there's an opportunity. It's a very short opportunity. The window is closing very quickly, but there's a short opportunity to get some things passed before um, this uh, session of Congress recesses and before the House majority is in the, in the Republican House majority is lost. So um, one of the things that we're hoping for is uh, some some uh, legislation that helps to protect direct primary care, helps to strengthen it, helps to uh, get um, a, a uh, HSA exemption for direct primary care. So what does that mean? Well, it means right now that insurance um, and health savings accounts are tied together. So you can't have an IRS-qualified health savings account outside of insurance. That limits what you can use your health savings account to, to pay for. And one of the limitations of an HSA is um, that if you are participating in a direct primary care practice, um, something that you've heard me talk about on this show um, for uh, years now, well, the IRS won't let you um, use your HSA to pay for your direct primary care. And so that's a big problem because... Quite honestly, there are, there are um, millions of people who would benefit and uh, gravitate toward direct primary care if they could simply use their own money, the money that they put away, in order to pay for the direct primary care doctor that they choose to uh, uh, see for their health care. And so we've had uh, Lee Gross, our president of uh, Docs for Patient Care up in Washington, he testified before Senate yesterday, and I heard that he just hit it out of the park. And he's going to be up there today talking with some, some people on, on the Hill. Um, I wanted to get him on the show today so that he could give us a wrap-up uh, synopsis of what um, uh, happened, how he think things went. Um, but uh, he had some early morning meetings and couldn't uh, get on the show. So it's my hope that we'll get him on uh, the show in, in a couple of weeks and we'll be able to pick his brain, get him to uh, uh, share uh, what um, happened in Washington with him up there, talk about his testimony a little bit. So uh, with, with regard to um, direct primary care, we... Uh, are working diligently. There are still over 30 states that do not have protection um, uh, legislatively at the state level for doctors who do direct primary care. And uh, we're uh, hoping that uh, in 2019 that there will be some more states that pass legislation that protects direct primary care doctors. We have done we're working on that here in Georgia I'm directly involved in that effort and uh, I hope to be able to share with you some uh, some good news in this session there this is uh, the season where um, state legislatures will be in session introducing new bills uh, new issues because I think that we, um, are likely not going to see any sweeping changes 
from a uh, federal standpoint regarding health care and the best way to affect change in health care in a positive direction is going to be working at the state level, whether that means direct primary care legislation to protect direct primary care doctors, whether that means getting rid of the um, of the unconstitutional um, certificate of need laws, which um, bolster the fat cat hospitals that are making billions of dollars off of the healthcare system and not putting it back in, but rather expanding and paying them their their um, their administrators just obscene amounts of money. So they are really a special interest group that is raping the system, um, taking advantage, making people believe that they have the best interests of the public at heart when, in fact, they are really a self-serving uh, special interest group. And so certificate of need laws need to be um, thrown out in the 35 states that still have them. We need to see changes at the state level that uh, protects doctors, that allows doctors to uh, um, be able to take care of patients um, and frees them up from some of the administrative and leg- and uh, and uh, statutory burdens that uh, uh, prevent creativity and entrepreneurism. So state uh, efforts coming up in 2019 are going to be fairly extensive in my opinion and in my hope and I'll continue to report to you when uh, when things develop and when we get back I'm going to uh, talk about some interesting healthcare stories in the news that uh, are uh, important to discuss that the doctors are talking about among themselves so stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hi, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning at 8 a.m. and listen to The Doctor's Lounge, where you get a private insight into the conversations that doctors have amongst themselves. Join us Thursday, 8 a.m. every week. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. Today we are <coughs> excuse me. Today we are talking about some healthcare stories that have popped up in the news that I think are um, worthy of of uh, discussion. Um, this is s- things that uh, we're talking about 
in our doctor's lounges and and uh, something that I think is is really you know quite quite uh, important for people to understand that even though there are not health care policy issues so much dominating the news, there's still quite a few stories that regard health care issues that that um, people just don't really understand because they're not hearing perhaps the whole story or they're getting pieces of a story or they're getting a slanted story. One of those um, stories that came out, which you're not hearing very much about, and uh, and I, quite honestly, I'm a little bit, this is something that I take very personally, is the story that came out this past week about the Michigan judge that declares a federal ban on female genital mutilation was unconstitutional. So let me set the let me set this up for you. Female genital mutilation is a practice that occurs in um, in Muslim countries, and and it involves um, actually um, harming little girls against their will. It involves um, cutting their clitoris with a scissor or glass or some other instrument to um, to cause trauma to their genitalia, and it is intended to um, eliminate pleasurable sexual relations by women, and this is this is something that occurs in in uh, um, Muslim as I said Muslim countries um, let me let me share some 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 statistics with you um, it has been uh, um, estimated that more than 200 million girls and women alive today have been mutilated like this in 30 countries in Africa the Middle East and Asia, where female genital mutilation is concentrated, according to the World Health Organization. And it's most common in western, eastern, and northeastern regions of Africa, some countries in the Middle East and Asia, and um, and even in India. Um, the UN reported that in Somalia, 98 percent of the women aged 15 to 49 have undergone female genital mutilation. In Guinea, that number is 97 percent. In Djibouti, it's 93 percent. And so this is, this is a, a brutal, barbaric, um, medieval um, uh, practice that uh, that that isn't necessarily mainstream in the Muslim world, but in some sects of 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 Islam, this is a a very common practice. And so, let me um, further uh, share with you what that that this these cases came to the attention of of doctors in this country. Um, back in the 1980s or 1990s when large groups of immigrants from Somalia and the Middle East started coming to the U.S. And who saw these children? I did. 
my colleagues did. And when I say my colleagues, I'm talking about pediatric urologists because these girls would come to the U.S. They would be um, they they would now have Western health care available to them. So most of these children came to this country. They were on Medicaid. They were seen by doctors, pediatricians. Pediatricians examined them and said, holy smokes, this does not look right because they didn't know what they were looking at. And so they would send these girls to, to us, to me, to, to my other pediatric urology colleagues. And we would go, holy smokes, look, look at what this poor girl has, has been subjected to. And, and as we, as we, my, my specialty, came together and recognized that this was really a a uh, an epidemic among some of these girls coming from um, from sub-Sahara uh, Africa and from the Middle East. Um, we realized what was going on and and blew the whistle on this practice and brought it to the attention of authorities that this is. Um, child abuse that this is this is uh, a a uh, affront to human rights and it was uh, um, it was a very very powerful uh, um, example of the barbarity in this in some parts of the world and and it was not going to be tolerated in this country and it was um, called unconstitutional or it was outlawed rather by by uh, Congress as part of the Commerce Clause in 1996. And so female genital mutilation has been illegal in the United States. Now, there have been, there have been people who have been practicing this in parts of the country where there's large enclaves of Muslims, particularly in Michigan, in Minnesota. And um, there was a case that recently, this week, got thrown out against two doctors who had uh, performed this procedure on girls here in the United States. And uh, the defendants in the case were members of the Dawoodi Boris sect that pre- that of, of Islam that routinely pr- performs female, mutil- female um, uh, genital mutilation and uh, when the girls are seven years of age. And the uh, the defendants in the case, doctors Jumana Nagarwala and Fakarudin Attar, two assistants, and the four mothers that brought their mutilated girls were were um, being were being um, tried, and they challenged the uh, the legality of a federal case. And a federal judge threw it out and um, and said that this is something that uh, that was not covered under the Commerce Clause. The judge said that this is abhorrent. This is just not not um, even even um, a uh, it it is it is beyond the pale for people to be doing this to to girls, but could not um, find the legal standing to allow this case 
to stand as a uh, federal law and instead opined that this needs to be handled on a state-to-state basis, which is what I said in the last segment, that changes around the country in healthcare need to come from states, and we can't rely on the federal government. But that being said, this is, uh, this is one of those cases that just came out this week, which is, you know, just it just shows you how, how um, Western... Um, attitudes and Eastern and, and, and the way that people think in some of the more um, backwards parts of the world just don't go together. And this is, this is absolutely um, – I, I mean, I, this, if you ever saw a girl who had been mutilated like this, it would leave an indelible mark on you and you would – be outraged. You would not believe how another person, how a doctor, a medical doctor, could do this to a young child. And these girls were brought to this doctor. They were tricked by their by their mothers. They were told that they were going on a girls' trip on an outing, and wind up in this this clinic. It almost reminds you of the back room abortion clinics of the 1920s um, where where you know the people people would because c- they could not get abortions and they would resort to any any means whatsoever and what I find just absolutely astonishing is where are the groups that claim to be um, for the rights of women or the rights of children. Where are they? Why are they not in front of this, speaking out against this, screaming from the from the rooftops in the loudest voices about this? It it makes no sense to me how this has been so politicized. It's okay for this group of people to do this to little girls, but but um, but it's but but you know any any. Any, you know, the this is this is acceptable, but but uh, women, you know, if uh, you say the wrong thing, you are you are politically incorrect in in your in your speech at work. You will be fired for for sexual discrimination or sex or or insensitivity. But yet, this is allowed to occur, and it's just. David is, is I'm tell, I'm talking about things that I know he's he's really really uh, interested in getting in the conversation. So go ahead, David. Can these doctors lose their license? They can, and they and they they probably will. Um, they'll, they'll but that shot. but that doesn't prevent them from being sought out by that community and being able to um, continue to do this. They need to be thrown in jail. You know, yeah, well, and. Without part of their equipment. Well, these are women. These are women. Are women doctors. They're women the doctors. Always. These are these are women doctors who are being um, who are who are being presented these innocent young girls by their mothers because this is a practice that these people believe is is something that they had to go through and their mothers went through and their grandmothers went through and they they know nothing nothing else they're not educated people they um are are living in medieval times 
and this is you know this is the clash of civilizations. This is their their way of thinking coming in to our country, and we we welcome them to come in. But what is is not happening is for them to embrace our country, and instead they live in their own ghettos, their own little enclaves, their own world, and want to continue having their own life in our country, and the two just don't jive. They don't go together. And this is something that, uh, as pediatric urologists, we've been screaming about this for 20 years and trying to raise um, attention to this problem, and uh, I think we've done a very good job. We've we've uh, we've really sounded the alarm, and there are a lot of people who who agree with with this for what it is. But but um, we have to find a way to put a stop to this. We can't rely on the federal government, and unfortunately, in many of the states, such as in Michigan and in Minnesota, where they have large numbers of Muslim immigrants, and now they're starting to elect Muslim representatives to their state and federal, as state and federal representatives, it's going to be a little bit of an uphill battle to put a stop to this. So I wanted to share that story with you from the news, which is very concerning, very upsetting. And I have some other interesting news items in healthcare that have come up. So stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge where we're pulling stories that involve healthcare out of the news because even though there are no significant new policy or political issues regarding healthcare, it's in the news every day. You just need to know where to look for it and how to get it, but you need to know how to interpret it because unfortunately, um, I I don't want to sound like our president, but you know there is fake news out there, and they are just they are agenda driven. So you know they they will they will push a story as it meets their needs, as it suits their designs, and and I think that from some of these issues that involve healthcare, it's really uh, very important to understand what what that story really means. For example, in today's newspaper, 
uh, and I'm a avid Wall Street Journal, you know, freak. I love reading it because I think it's really the only uh, newspaper out there that actually tells it like it is. It's it's pretty much down the middle. Um, there's there's two articles in there that are that that I know that people are going to start talking about today. Um, one of them involves uh, U.S. life expectancy. And the other one involves gene therapy. So let's talk about the life expectancy first. So people, so the, um, so the the CDC here in Atlanta came out with uh, their latest statistics that shows that uh, life expectancy in the U.S. dropped by one tenth of a year. So it fell from seventy eight point seven years to 78.6 years. Now, is that a big deal? Well, you know, it, it, it is and it isn't. What the people who like to spin things to their way of thinking will get from this story is how crappy U.S. healthcare is and how we rank 29th in the world in life expectancy. So they're making a connection. Life expectancy has gone down. U.S. healthcare is in trouble. We have a system that is unfair and it doesn't serve all the people in this country. We need to change our healthcare system to boost life expectancy and and not be 29th in the world for crying out loud. How can the U.S. be 29th in every in anything? So that's that's that side of that story. Now, let's just dig a little deeper and talk about what that really means. So why has healthcare uh, or life expectancy gone down one-tenth of, of, um, of a year? Well, two reasons, suicide and opioids. Those are the two big reasons. Now, the states, uh, the countries that have longer life expectancy, very different from the U.S. So aside from reasons why we're seeing increases or decreases, you just need to understand that there are differences between countries based entirely on the population itself, based on the what we call the homogeneity or the heterogeneity. So what that means is the more alike the people in a country are, the more likely that they're going to move together. So in Japan, the people who are, um, who are uh, the life expectancy in Japan is longer than it is in the United States. And, and so, so they, they, people have tended to say, oh, well, you know what? It has everything to do with the Japanese healthcare system, and it has everything to do with the Japanese diet. And so when you look at Japanese Americans, their life expectancy is the same in the U.S. as it is in Japan. But in Japan, everybody's Japanese. In the U.S., only a very small percentage is are Japanese. So the 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 problem with statistics like this is that in the United States which is a melting pot and it's a 
conglomeration of everybody, you will get numbers that are going to be lower than that in Japan or in Scandinavia because the population is so diverse. So you've got to look at that first before you try to look at trends. Just know that there are going to be differences, and the U.S. is never going to be number one, no matter whether or not somebody can see a doctor in three hours of of wanting to see one, or they can get every single medicine that they want on demand. It will never be be able to be driven into the into the top ten just because of the the diversity of the American um, landscape. But life expectancy statistics will change. Now, it's, this one has changed because of suicide and opioids. And both of these are problems that are not unique to the U.S., but because our numbers are so great and because of the affluence of our country compared to the rest of the world, we see problems um, that other countries don't see and they become real problems. So opioid, for example, people have resources to to purchase opioids, get opioids. You know, in other countries, they don't. They're alcoholics or they find other vices for, for uh, to, uh, as mind-altering substances. But in, in this country, unfortunately, we are dealing with a massive opioid crisis, and that has really contributed to what's been going on. Our mental health system in this country is absolutely abysmal. It is a disgrace. 99% of inpatient hospital mental health beds have been eliminated since the 1970s. So it's almost impossible to find a way to protect people who want to hurt themselves or want to hurt others. It's almost, it's, it's become, it's become uh, uh, almost impossible to find a, a facility that's affordable for somebody who needs mental health counseling or services. And suicide is, is the most severe form of depression. People who are depressed will, will, uh, uh, are the ones who commit suicide, and these are people who need help and are not getting it. And uh, so, so to uh, to implicate the healthcare system in general about our healthcare is unfair. With the caveat, the exception that with regard to suicide, our mental health system needs needs to be. Um, addressed. It needs to, um, money needs to be spent on this segment of healthcare, which it is not because it's not profitable. And it is, uh, it is, um, you know, quite honestly, uh, not something that uh, people want to talk about. It's, a, it's an, it's always been an embarrassment for people to talk about that. The other issue that's been in the news. In, in news in the last few days and in today's paper is this issue with the doctor in uh, China who has um, done the unthinkable, which is to uh, do a, uh, a experiment on human embryos 
and to uh, um, do what's called gene um, editing or gene splicing. Let me just pull this up. I'm, you're here on my newspaper in the background, but I want to get this right. It was a um, doctor, Dr. He Jiankyu, who uh, in Hong Kong uh, engineered uh, a, uh, a, a gene splice in uh, twins. He offered the parents the, uh, the opportunity to put in a gene that will um, uh, resist HIV. This is the offspring of a healthy mother and a father uh, infected with HIV. And um, the premise was that these twins um, would um, be born um, with HIV and would not be able to live a normal life. And the um, the researcher, the doctor, was um, uh, mod- was able to modify the baby's DNA to protect it against HIV. There is a gene um, which researchers believe allows um, the uh, the HIV infection uh, to invade the body. It will it will um, it will uh, disable that gene and uh, allow the the uh, children to grow up protected against HIV. And the um, medical community is up in arms. They don't know what to do with with this. Now, if you remember, gene therapy has been uh, used for probably about 30 years. If you remember the baby lamb, um, blocking on the name of the lamb, but that was uh, that was when it was first done, and there was a big controversy about this back then. And uh, it's been used now in in veterinarian medicine to create better strains of animals. But there's been a moratorium in human uh, gene experimentation because of the slippery slope that this would um, potentially lead to, um, creating um, children who have you know blue eyes or blonde hair or different characteristics. And so the, the one school of thought <coughs> is that you can um, use gene therapy selectively and eliminate some of the most dreaded diseases that, that uh, occur that have a genetic link. They're looking at things like types of muscular dystrophy or diabetes or MS or other um uh, severe diseases, Lou Gehrig's disease, that perhaps have a genetic component, and if you can protect against that, gosh, wouldn't that be an incredible advance to either disable or add a, a gene that would block the um, occurrence of that disease and prevent it and eliminate it from the face of the earth? And these doctors who are doing this are likening themselves as modern-day um uh, infectious disease doctors, you know, and, and the same arguments were were levied um, two generations ago when people came up with vaccinations, and they said, "Gosh, how could you inject live live viruses into somebody, or even dead viruses? You're altering the the, um, the what what's going to happen?" And these doctors were were renegades in their time, but they've revolutionized healthcare 
to this day. And these doctors view themselves in the same light as people who are looking to change the course of human history in a positive way. We'll, we'll finish this discussion, and I'll tell you one other item in the news when we finish in the last segment of the Doctors' Lounge. So stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. So this is the last segment in the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal. Thank you for being with us um, in this episode where we have uh, pulled items from the news that have a healthcare uh, slant just to show you that there is a lot of healthcare um issues, items that are happening all around you, things that we talk about as doctors that you're not really hearing a whole lot about. And if you are, you may be only getting one side of where you're getting um, uh, a uh, a slant that doesn't quite um, tell the whole story. And I think it's important for you to know the whole story when you read these these articles, when you get this information, because there's usually a a much uh, more uh, extensive, a deeper uh, story that uh, uh, to be told regarding these issues, and one of them has to do with this uh, um, gene editing um, uh, issue that the uh, Chinese doctor uh, recently uh, uh, admitted to. Um, he um, uh, is uh, uh, taking the position that he is uh, a pioneer in trying to eradicate um, dreaded diseases. But the uh, medical community has taken a very harsh look at people who are doing genetic engineering in humans, and they are concerned about the slippery slope that this may um, lead lead us down, um, where there can be um, uh, a you can you can get rid of you know theoretically you can you can eliminate a race or you can eliminate um, you know a uh, you know different um, characteristics that make us different but not abnormal. And um, and there there's a uh, 
you know, a, a real potential for misuse. So it's a matter of should we do it? If we do it, who controls it? And you never want to let people control anything because there's always special interests involved, as we've seen in this healthcare system in this country, how special interests get their way and control um, things in healthcare that uh, they are going to benefit from financially and not think about really the the good or the benefit to the general population, which leads me to the last story that I wanted to share with you. It's about um, the drug pricing, prescription drug pricing, which is just out of control. I was listening to uh, one of my competitors. No, it's not really a competitor. You know, the, uh, the UU show can't compete with me, so it's really not not anything I'm worried about. No, but in in, in all seriousness, I, I uh, UU it uh, has very interesting guests on his show on a regular basis talking about healthcare issues because this is something that Hugh is uh, quite interested in. He's taken a, a very uh, uh, keen interest in docs for patient care over the years. And, um, and he uh, had on his show uh, a woman who is a professor at uh, the University of California. Um, uh, can't remember which campus but she wrote a book that is entitled Drugs, Money, and Secret Handshakes, The Unstoppable Growth of Prescription Drug Prices. So he had her on the show um, to discuss the book and to discuss an article that uh, she wrote in the Washington Post um, just a couple of days ago. And um, Dr. Friedman I'm sorry, Dr. Feldman, Robin Feldman, um, uh, she, she pointed out the, uh, the, the absolute corruption in the pharmaceutical industry and how they are absolutely just raping the American public. They are... Um, a special interest group that is very powerful that really controls health care. Now, I would, I would have to uh, agree in part that they, they are powerful and they are corrupt. I'm not sure that they are controlling health care. I think they're part of a cabal that uh, has a lot to do with health care. But what, what um, Dr. Feldman pointed out um, was that uh, – the the uh, the the um, drug industry is is just raping the public, and she points out that there are, are they're coming out with great drugs, but nobody can afford them. There are hemophilia treatments that are priced right now at five hundred and eighty thousand to eight hundred thousand dollars a year. Um, that Novartis plans a $475,000 a year price tag for its drug CAR-T, um, which treats non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Um, the, um, 
the other thing is that the pharmaceutical companies are raising prices most sharply for commonly used medications to treat very average and common conditions like diabetes, high cholesterol, and asthma. And so she she explained how we got here, that um, there's a very shadowy and Byzantine system, as she puts it, for negotiating drug prices and rebate deals. And the at the heart of the system are the pharmacy benefit managers, the PBMs. And historically, they were just claims processors. They um, the, there were the drug companies, there were the insurance companies, and they, the insurance companies approved drugs, and they had a pharmacy benefits management company in between that would just process those claims. Well, something changed in 2006. That's when prescription drug coverage became part of Medicare. And with that was a massive influx of patients with prescription drug coverage into the market. And so the PBMs took on an additional role for a wider range of healthcare plans. And they actually helped them not just to process the claims, but to set up their formularies, which means that's what patients use. Those are the drugs that patients are allowed to have they set it up and the pharmacy benefit management companies determine which drugs they can get. And they determine that based on the whether or not they can make a profit, how much the rebates they're going to get from the pharmaceutical companies are, how much the rebates they're getting from the um, insurance companies are. And the the real sickening part of all this is that the prices are going up. They're incentivized to see those prices go up because they make more money. They make more money from both ends, playing both ends from the middle, from the from the um, the the drug companies. They get a, a rebate from the insurance companies. They get a rebate. They make more and more money. The higher the cost of the drugs, the more money they make. They add absolutely nothing, zero, zilch, nada, to health care. They just rape the system. And the ones who are the losers are the patients. The patients are paying more and more, and they don't understand why. And between 2006 and when Medicare prescription drugs came online in 2014, the um, prices for drugs rose an average of 57% for drugs with, um, with a generic substitute. For drugs that didn't have a generic substitute, the prices rose an average of 142%. This is untenable. It is the fastest growing curve in our out-of-control healthcare system. And again, I want to point out that this is fodder for those who are saying we should have a, a single payer, Medicare for all. The government should control this and these, these abuses will go away. Nothing is further from the truth. If you have Medicare for all, a single payer healthcare, you are trading 
the devil that you know for the devil that you don't, because the government will be the ones in charge of saying what you can and cannot have instead of the marketplace. Right now, the market is doing it because they're pricing people out of their drugs. If somebody can't afford a drug, they have to decide, are they going to spend that money on food? Are they going to just spend that money on a roof over their head? Or are they going to spend that money on a drug that they need? Well, people shouldn't have to make that decision. But if the government is doling out those medicines, they're going to determine what you can and cannot have. For example, if you are a patient with MS, multiple sclerosis, there are, I believe, 11, maybe 12 drugs that are available to treat the the um, that condition, and and no drug the drugs are are going to be individual. So for one person, a drug may work. For another person, it may not. The only way that they can figure out whether it will or will not is trial and error. And when you find that drug, that's what you stick with. You stay on that drug. That's what the neurologists, the MS specialists, do. Well. In a healthcare plan, whether it's an insurance company or it is the government, they're going to go for the cheapest alternative, even though your drug has worked, and they're going to make you suffer and go through the cheapest drug, then the next cheapest drug, and then the next cheapest drug until um, you finally have to take that drug that worked before. But by the time you get to that drug, your disease could have progressed so far that it doesn't matter. That's the problem. I'm going to try to get Robin Feldman on the show because I think that she was absolutely incredible and in blowing the whistle on this very important subject. And I want to recommend her book. I haven't read it, but I read an excerpt on Amazon, Drugs, Money, and Secret Handshakes, The Unstoppable Growth of Prescription Drugs. So we'll try to get her on and uh, and uh, talk about this very important topic. So I hope that you had a, uh interesting uh, time with me today talking about healthcare items in the news. Um, read the news carefully and uh, don't take what they say at face value. Come back next time on The Doctor's Lounge. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, I'm Dr. Mike Karuchak. Have you ever wondered what doctors talk about amongst themselves? If you do, join us on the Doctor's Lounge and hear the doctors' conversations amongst themselves. Join me and my co-host, Dr. Hal Schertz, every Thursday morning, 8 to 9 a.m. Get your pen and paper ready. If there's a move in your near future, I'm here to tell you that the folks I used and now recommend is Around Town Movers. Timothy and the guys recently moved me, and I am and was totally satisfied with a sometimes not-so-fun experience moving. 
Call Timothy at 770-378-4708 and make it a good move and a good experience. Around town movers for that local or cross-country move. Timothy, around town movers, in my opinion, are the best. That's around town movers. Call them. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the America's Broadcast.